0: Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or iwanttogarden.com.
1: You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow-your-own-food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have returning guest Colin Walker to talk about keys to growing your own nutrient-rich food. Colin grew up in a rural community near Auckland, New Zealand, and learned the basics of growing by helping his grandfather maintain a small flower market garden. Initially, he went to college to study economics. However, after some course changes, he turned his interest a little closer to his roots. He got involved in and has had leadership roles in several areas of natural agriculture, including establishing the Permaculture Institute of New Zealand, taking on advisory and advocacy roles for seed preservation with independent and government organizations, and even served as a natural coordinator of a national organic advisory program. Collins' concentrations have been on permaculture, ecology center design, seed preservation, conservation of traditional and heirloom food plants, garden education and most recently investigating from an ecology perspective the essential elements needed to guarantee that the food we grow is actually nutrient dense welcome to the show today colin it's great to be here greg thanks and and actually i love doing these because you're actually here from tomorrow it's like 10 o'clock tomorrow morning there right
2: yeah, it's back to the
0: future. Yeah, I love I love speaking into the future. <laughs> yeah. And... So we got to know you on a recent podcast on ecologically centered gardening. And you're here today to talk about increasing the nutrient richness in food, which of course is really important to our health. So let's start by reviewing ecology-centered gardening.
2: Ecology is at the heart of gardening, has been for a very long time because it's simply the, the environment that we grow in, and it's everything in it, really. not just a little bit in that. And if we just stayed focused on that whole view of a garden, it would make it a lot easier for mm-hmm. people. So uh, we're in a way of thinking, is what ecology does. It gives you a view of the world. And the thing is that it's many elements, okay? So you actually means you can't just get away with one thing. There is no magic bullet. Okay, but people are looking for one solution, Mm -hmm. this one thing, and it'll solve all my problems. Well, if you work with ecology, you just accept that that is not the case, (laughs) and then, and then you have to work out how you're going to work with a number of different things together at once. Mm -hmm. And it might take a little bit of practice, but once you get into it, it does get easier. So we could also call this a holistic view,
0: looking. you know, looking at the whole system view, you know, I like to call it
2: permaculture. Uh, Am I kind of in the right arena here? Yeah. All of those are are terms. It's, it's difficult. We have this world where we have people have come up with so many uh, names for the the same thing.
0: (laughs) You mean nature?
2: Yeah. Nature. You got it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So tell us why highly nutrient rich food is important and, and, You know, it's almost a giggle, but we really need to review it.
2: Okay, so in the past, I don't think it was as much of an issue as it is today. Mm -hmm. But in our world that we've created uh, in the 21st century, you know, and it was coming over the last hundred years, there's a number of things we've done in our environment which just makes them more toxic. Mm. And we've got to learn to cope with that toxicity. And that's the amazing thing is that, plants have these incredible elements that they've created within them, which actually, they are in there for the plant's own sake, all right? The plants have them because they're useful to them. They protect the plant. All right. Uh, all right, and that's a whole conversation, like uh, the antioxidants, which is people are often looking for, and they say, you know, well, they're off, you know, don't peel the skin because there are a lot of them are in the skin. Mm-hmm. Well, the antioxidant is protecting the plant against UV radiation. Oh of course. All right. So that's why it's there. So but the beauty of it is is that these things that are protecting the plant can also help protect us. Mm. And it does give you some interesting uh, ideas and if, once you start looking into the relationships between things, which is that's what ecology is all about. Uh-huh. You look at the, the connections, the influences and the things they affect you look between the parts, and when you start looking at how that's happening, you actually start to get a really good feel and a much better in-depth view of what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, when you okay. when when we're paying attention. Yes, we <laughs> we have to pay attention, but yeah. and that's yeah, but that's what gardeners like gardeners have always over the centuries, they've had they had time, Greg. They weren't under pressure, they grew in their time. They had they had time to sit in the garden and enjoy it. Yeah. And while they were doing that, they observed and they learned and they looked between the parts. Mm-hmm. All right? And so yeah so that's just one part the the health of the that these plants this food and the unfortunate thing is is that we took it for granted for the last 50 60 years in many ways that no matter what you grew food there would be nutrients in there right well that's an
0: that's a good okay. assumption generally speaking except it's a myth it, more
2: and more it, is it not it turned out not to be true yeah I, and I saw from things, some people were looking at these issues back in the past and they raised the issue. But overall, as an entire society, we went down this path of industrial agriculture,
1: yeah.
2: large scale, all these things. We know what's happened and we just want quantity. And there was a very reasonable desire to feed the, this expanding population on the earth. All right. Mm-hmm. So people decided that we needed to increase the amount of food. In particular, the carbohydrates, the energy to keep us all alive, right? right? Yeah. And that's what we did. But in doing that, we actually lost all these other nutrients that are in plants as well. And so, yeah, we gained some things. We, in simple terms, we doubled the amount of food over 50 years growing on the planet. And at the same time, we halved the level of the micronutrients. Oh, my gosh. So So we're
0: pretty much dead even than where we were 50 years ago.
2: Yeah, but we're supporting you know more than double the population on the earth. So this has implications. And in fact, as people say more and more, there's understanding amongst medical circles. I'm I'm not a doctor or a medical person myself, but I do listen to lots of doctors and people who have been addressing this issue of nutrition and
0: health. Yeah, really.
2: And yeah, and so there's a, a concept that's starting to be understood now that obesity is malnutrition. Oh right, I saw a TED because, talk on that probably five years ago. Oh great! So you you've got that over in your world too. That's good. So that that's you know that's a really important thing, and more and more people are realizing it. So so you asked me the simple question: Why is it important we have nutrient rich food? Yeah. Well, because if we don't, we're not going to be healthy, and we can't take it for granted. And I've spoken to the industrial issues uh, of agriculture, but. What's really, and for me, was very challenging about 20 years ago, and and by 10 years ago, I was absolutely clear. I was realising that what was being done in the name of organics, also wasn't necessarily no, 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 giving no, no. nutrient-rich food. Right. So I don't know if you've had that. I see a few people raising this issue, but yeah, uh, this idea of organic growing again, just assuming that it's going to be nutrient-rich. So people find it's fairly easy to accept that the industrial food production you know may not have the nutrients in it that we need right and then everyone moves to organics but that what still we've may also got. Dis- the
0: nutrients that we yeah.
2: yeah and in fact from work that i was involved with over a decade a new- decade ago in new zealand we started to realize that this was actually the case
1: mhm
2: all right and yeah. so that set me on a on a new journey which is which brings me to you today perfect So you've developed a series
0: of keys for growing your own nutrient-rich food, and those keys, I'm just going to review them real quick, and then we're going to talk in depth about each one of them. The keys are an ecological view of the world, which we touched on a little bit, genetics, nutrients and their movement through the food chain, the environment, using holistic integrated design, and ongoing experimenting research and learning. Which, interestingly enough, this looks like a
2: permaculture process to me, but I'll let you go to there. And, uh, well, as we spoke last week, you know, over 30 years ago, I was introduced to the ideas of permaculture, and I've been working with them, and I've also been working with those who have been evolving them. Yeah. So, there's a few things we can add in here. Yes, this is permaculture, but you'll find a few twists and a few ideas that we've nice. been adding to the picture, because, yeah, nothing's constant, and, right. yeah, those are rigid- those ideas were first created by Bill and others over 40 years ago, and the other thing is that we've actually got a lot of really good pure science now, which has explained things that even back then we were just guessing about.
0: Oh, right, exactly.
2: And when you apply some of this incredible science that's been possible, some of it's happening in the, you know literally in the last year or two, you know the last 10, 20 years, uh-huh. we're starting to get a much better picture on what it is that drives the nutrient levels in a plant. Hmm, got it. And. Before before that, there was a lot of assumption. Uh-huh. Okay. Now we actually have some core science. And so for me, what I've had to do is go back. And when I realized for myself that nutrients were not necessarily there, in fact, the first issue that re- I started to really realize this was when I looked at the genetics issue. All right. And so for 20 years, I've been working with genetics uh-huh. and looking at how that affects very precisely the effect of the nutrients. Because... Yeah. For 50, 60 years before that, all of uh, plant breeding, all of the works around that, it was all focused about increasing the volume of production. And right. then it was making food that would work in an industrial system right. and that it could be transported over large distances, all those reasons. Okay. However, there were very few who were focused on the breeding of plants for actually gaining nutrition. And so that's okay. been my passion I, it's been my total passion. You could Some people call it my obsession.
0: <laughs> love that. Love that. So key number one, which I already touched on, which is the ecological view of the world. Key number two is genetics. So yeah. let's talk about the impact of plant breeding and then open pollinated, hybrid, and genetically engineered.
2: So these are all technical terms. And a lot of people, they sort of want to turn off, but, and they sort of make, a emotive call on this issue.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: However, wherever there's been some science, and, and you know, like all of us, we want to feel good about these things. But for me, what's happened over time is that there's more and more confusion as we've had this information age, and all this information's been spread out. So it's become more and more difficult to find actually what is the real truth. Mm-hmm. And we know how, how ridiculous that's got in today's world now, where you know what's what's true and what's not true. You know it's difficult for people to know. So for me, it's been really important to find a foundation that we could actually base what we were doing on. And so I actually had to go back to pure science. And so I went back to the science of genetics. Oh, perfect. All right. And so I did some study there mm-hmm. and then I looked at how that was applied and I was, I had the opportunity, uh, this is, well, man, time does go on. This is over 15 <laughs> years where I managed to pull together a research project at a national level in New Zealand with government support, looking at the issue of orga- organic seed growing and plant breeding. And through that, I was able to work with government scientists, researchers, and they actually had multi-million dollar research projects going on plant breeding. Uh-huh. And, yeah, incredible amount learned. It's been very difficult to sort of integrate it all and then also watch over time as slowly people... Are generally starting to pick up on these points. So I'm just going to do the really simple point today. And I've seen some science studies, most of which is not publicly released. This material often, there's just for whatever, for a whole series of reasons, yeah. it's not put into the public domain. Right. Okay. And in some of it, I'm not even allowed to put in the public domain. Okay. I get myself into trouble. So what are the so, impacts of plant breeding? Quite significant. <laughs> and the issue is that as soon as we start reducing the genetic pool, which is that's hybridization, when we hybridize a plant, we reduce the amount of genes that are actually at play in a plant. Mm-hmm. And while we were trying to and uh, focus on the genes that were going to give increased production, shelf life, et cetera, we ignored the genes to do with nutrition. And they got lost along the way. So right. this is the first point with organics. And even now, to be even certified organic, you although it is a uh, request, you could say, that you use open pollinated seed, it's not a requirement. The commercial reality for, I know, for most organic growers in New Zealand is that they use hybrid seed. The genetics, if it ain't in the genetics, it doesn't matter what method you use, you're not going to get the nutrition. Right. And there are studies which I can show that, and often sometimes comparative studies in the, the, the sector gets organic sector gets concerned saying, oh, false information. And quite a few times I've gone back and just looked, and it was simply a case that they were actually testing hybrids. And so that unfortunately proved my case.
0: All right, I got it. And how do we, you know, as a home grower, how am I I going to impact this? Like
2: what are my steps? It's really simple because over the last 30 years, there's been an entire movement of, People who have actually kept going open pollinated seeds outside of the corporate industrial world. Right. And there are the the, the seed saving movement, as it was called. Mm-hmm. And I know in America, just about every state has a local group. And that's important because then you get seeds relevant to your local environment. Right. And we have similar, we've, I've been involved in groups in New Zealand doing that same work here. It's, it's possible. So you actually just have to go, in, in today's world, you just have to go Google. Local open pollinated seeds. And I'm sure you have groups in your own area.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So So, tell everybody what an open pollinated seed is. It means that we're allowing nature to do what nature does. And therefore we allow either the wind or the insects to create the pollination process. We don't interfere with it. And we also work with a genetic pool of enough plants to make sure we maintain overall genetic diversity. Uh Uh-huh. Now, in hybridization, we get involved in the process and we simply reduce the amount of diversity. That means that you get conformity, but as we do that. So that's that's as simple as I can go, Greg.
0: Yeah. So really, the the takeaway from this genetic piece is to use open pollinated seeds in our yard.
2: Real simple. And it actually, in today's world, is possible. Yeah, exactly. So, So that's all great. And everyone should be working with that and totally supporting that. And yeah, if you're going to use a hybrid, you can just automatically negate a fair amount of nutrition. You just reduce seriously the potential for nutrition in your plant. Well, there you go. Cool. Key number three,
0: nutrients and their movement through the food chain.
2: Well, Greg, I love this one too. And it's another obvious one. And it's another one where we make assumptions. Look, if it ain't there, it can't magically appear. Oh, right. So you know some magic where we can go abracadabra and suddenly... All those in our so, if we want lots of nutrients in our food, they've got to come from somewhere. Either they have to be in the soil, the environment, or we have to add them. And again, when people talk about organics, they think some organic matter will give them the nutrients, and that's not necessarily the case. And in fact, on this one, compost, all right, and I'll just I'm just going to give you one little example from the 1990s, Please. which again is that in America. There were people, universities that were researching this issue of compost and its value. Right. And so they went around and they were testing all these composts in America. And, you know, commercially, industrially made compost using waste in there. And, of course, they discovered that there was very little nutrition in them.
1: And I'm just going to
2: throw it in the compost. Yeah. And, in fact, the standard of compost has dropped incredibly now. And there's some other elements that everyone assumed was in compost, which it also wasn't. But I'm not going to even go there right now because that's such a big story. Okay, right. but this issue of compost and what is a real compost, and so if we're going to put the word nutrient-rich in front of compost, then we've got a mission. So we've got to produce nutrient-rich compost. Okay, and that's what they were on 100 years ago. That's what the, the whole idea of composting is, as we know it in the modern form, is actually a very modern idea. Only really developed in the early 1900s. Hmm and people wanted to accelerate the process of nutrient collection and movement in a growing environment, right? Okay. So that, and then, so that's one way we can bring it in. But the other thing is that once we're in the environment and here it's really simple, it's biology, it's soil life.
0: Mm.
1: I tell people,
0: I tell people often that the five components of healthy soil are dirt, which is where a lot of the micronutrients at, but they're bound up in that airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil.
2: You're so right. Okay, so, hey, Greg, I've got a new term, too, because the fascinating thing that I've found over the last few years is that if I look after the soil life and give them what they need, the plants look after themselves, and I don't actually do almost nothing for the plants. Isn't that amazing? So we're actually soil life farmers. So, you know, and Uh... if you start thinking... All right, if you yeah. think of it as your job is to be a farmer of soil life. Okay, and that doesn't matter in whether you're an urban or any environment. So the right. urban farmer, me, is a farmer of soil life. Okay? I love it.
0: I love it. I, yeah, I tell people all the time that your most important job as a grower is to create healthy soil.
2: Okay. Soil but farmer,
0: that's... I like it. Can I steal it?
2: Yeah, you can, of <laughs> course. Yeah. But yeah, no. I'm going to watch out. Don't be careful. You say soil is important, but I find people therefore look at the soil and ignore the soil life. I I absolutely, soil is very important because it's their home and we can come to that. That's another topic, all right? Yeah. How to make a home in the soil for them. But I always put that life, in front of you know after that soil okay soil life right perfect so look i know we've only got so much time today so i think we better keep moving on perfect so then the next key your key number four is the environment this is common sense greg come on we've got to have an environment that actually supports it but today i'm just going to pick up a couple of little interesting points that i've learned from others and what you have to say is that when i'm talking about these things there's a few things that i've come up with myself but So much of it I've just learned and absorbed from others. And so I actually just want to acknowledge everyone that I've learned from, both, you know, from books in the past and people who are doing work right through to today. Mm -hmm. There's too many to actually mention, okay? But there are those, and there are some groups who have really focused on this issue of nutrient-rich food and how to practically achieve it. And and so I recently came across a, a presentation from a group that was looking at the issue of the sun. First, real simple. Six uh-huh. hours minimum. If they if you don't get that, the plant can't drive its photosynthesis. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's basic, and that doesn't matter whether you want to eat it or what you want to do. You got to get that basic amount. But I, I love that.
0: Interest- I love that because that's uh, that really uh, speaks to what I tell I've told people for years. Just because I thought that it was right, and then I say six to eight hours. In order to grow yeah. food, you need at least six to eight hours of sun. So
2: to grow food that's worth eating, you can actually grow it with less. Okay. oh uh, yes. But if you want to, there to be enough photosynthesis happening, mm-hmm. and again, you've got you've got a really nice desert environment as well. So you know, right. and with lots of sun. Okay. Right. Because it still goes, you still get it through the clouds, but that sun is that sun. Okay. Now. What I've talked about here is it's relationships. It's all about relationship. Relationship between the sun and the plant, and that's photosynthesis. Right. All right. Now, the more photosynthesis that a plant can achieve, the more energy it creates, because photosynthesis converts elements into sugar, carbohydrates, drive. You might have come across this thing called BRICS testing, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, that's that's measuring sugar levels, Uh all right? And minerals, but mainly sugar. And the reason for that is that if the levels are too low, then there isn't enough sugars for the plant to metabolize and actually to do the things it needs to do to be a plant and to produce these nutrients. Because some it uptakes, others it creates itself. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're in there with photosynthesis. Now, the more you can do to improve photosynthesis, uh-huh. the better. All right, the more photosynthesis. And that, so that makes perfect there sense. Are, OK, so there are various micronutrients that are important to photosynthesis. There are various other things you can do, which you make sure you have those micronutrients. Photosynthesis will work better. OK, manganese is one of them. OK, and the other thing we can do is that, yeah, you know, the more chlorophyll in a plant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, people say to eat their dark greens. Right. What you're saying is eat plants with lots of chlorophyll. Oh right, of course. That's all it is, okay. But the thing is that I call it. This is another shades of green. I love looking at plants and looking at how green they are, how right. dark green. Because a corn plant can be quite an insipid green, or it can be uh, an incredibly thriving dark green. Right. So you actually have to start understanding the shades of green in any plant, mm-hmm. and the this and so there's obviously every plant has like a range of green. Yep. Yeah, and if you start looking at that, that's people to observe what you can do. Well, observe the greenness in your leaves, in your plants. Yeah. And the more that they are above an average, the more nutrients that plant can generate. Mm -hmm. However, this is the work, and I really acknowledge these folks because they've been working away at this for the last decade. They call themselves eco-agriculture in America, and they've done testing, and they've got all the data, and... But the only thing they discovered was that if you're testing the levels of minerals, Uh once photosynthesis gets above 60% of its potential in the plant, the actual mineral level starts to drop because the plant grows faster than it can actually uptake mineral. Oh, of course. That makes sense. Okay. However, for phytonutrients, it can keep going because they're actually making them. Interesting. Okay. And a little fact just so that people realize how – okay – we we didn't really go into GE, but it's like I'll just give an example just to explain. They have been testing GE corn. It's operating at ten percent photosynthesis.
1: Hmm.
2: That yeah, and we need to be we want to be up around fifty to sixty percent. Right. Idea. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So that's the sun and photosynthesis. It's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna another the next one you know uh, water okay you've got and you've got to give it, the plant the right amount of water but this is where i'm coming back to our urban soil farmer oh yeah we've got to make sure the soil life has the water that it needs
0: uh-huh
2: and generally soil life needs more water more moisture in the soil than the plant except for an extreme heat got it which i know which you have to deal with but when right. we're dealing with more temperate uh, milder climates uh-huh and photosynthesis is not so great because coming back to another, uh, the plant relationship, okay, the plant transpires, it releases water
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the process of photosynthesis relationship. Right, of course. But and it takes that water up through its roots, up through the plant and out. Now, when it's 20 degrees, a plant needs a certain amount of water through photosynthesis. At right. 30 degrees, it th- needs three times the same amount of water.
0: 20 degrees and 30 degrees C or F?
2: Uh, Celsius, sorry, you'll need to translate that to Fahrenheit. That's fine, that's fine. For the folks, okay? So 20 degrees Celsius, whatever the water the plant needs at 30, it's going to need three times that, because that's how much more transpiration increases. Wow. So in your desert environment, that's an issue for you, a big one. Yeah, big time. And so that's why I'm saying that becomes more of an issue, and the soil life actually, if you can get it to the plant, the soil life. But in cooler climates, where we're down around that 20-degree mark, uh-huh. more like, like that, then the issue is more the soil life. Yeah. By the way,
0: so yep. 20 degrees C is 68 F. Yep. And 30 degrees C is 86 F. Yeah. So and you for for those in the U.S. listening, that's between 68 and 86 degrees. And what you're saying, let me just clarify here, what you're saying is that At at 86, the plant needs
2: three times as much water. Correct. Because it will will release it through transpiration. Right, exactly. Because that's what it does. And the more sunlight you have, the more photosynthesis, the more the stoma are open, the more transpiration that occurs. And, of course, the bigger the plant. Right. So the actual water requirement for a plant is actually not very much often in the beginning phases, but but it, it goes up to an incredible peak. So this is why people think they're just watering a plant and they just think they put the water on. Well, yeah, you've got to be able to actually adjust your water yes. to where you are in the seasons. Right, exactly. And, exactly. and that's if we want nutrition, okay? Do not- stu- the plant will survive, you'll get a plant, but if we want our plant to be nutrient-rich, we've got to support the plant in maximizing its potential yeah. to to take up and uh, synthesize nutrients in its system
0: perfect so key number five is using holistic integrated design speak to that
2: would you okay first of all design most people think of it as something that you do at the beginning (laughs) right and then and you create your garden and it's over well the reality is that in ecology in the real world things keep changing and evolving for me I work with design all the time, mm-hmm. the process of design, because it's a really good way to put the pieces of ecology together and work with them right. and also come up with practical solutions. So
0: what you're saying is that this design is an ongoing process, not a one, one th- something you do once.
2: Correct. You, you need to do that, that first time, and the first time you need to be a bit more thorough. Right. But having done it, that gives you – it's only a starting point, and that's the beginning of – Constantly evolving, and it can be a small job or a big job, depending on how much your environment is shifting. Right. So that's the first point I'd like to make about our idea of holistic integrated design. Right. Now, the second one is a little bit more technical about the process, and the way I'm going to try and describe this is that when we when we talked about ecology, you said another way you could look at it is holistic. We look at the whole everything. Right. The system. Right? Now. There's a way of viewing the world where you start by looking at the whole, and then you allow it to diffuse, break up into its parts. And as it breaks up mm, into its parts, right, you can start to see the relationships, yep, connections. What's affecting what? It's so often it's said that gardeners, you know, as great skill of being a gardener is to observe, right. But I wanted to know what and how to observe. And so this is where I've come to. This process of observation is actually about looking, breaking it up, and then that. So that's half the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Once you have seen those connections and relationships by so having taken the whole and diffused it to the parts, then the other half of the process is to take the parts and assemble them back into a hole. And this can be a new hole. Hmm. So this this is design. You start with right. the hole that you have. Yes. You diffuse it and break it up to parts, and then you reassemble. Now, people who have worked with this way, and intuitively a lot of designers go there. Over time, and as my friend uh, Dennis Scott, who's been doing this for over 40 years, he, he smiles with me one day when I was discussing, and he said, yeah, and sometimes you do them both at the same time, Colin.
0: Right, right. This is a bit of a mind tweak for people. You're going to have to try it on. I'm I'm getting it because I've, you know, I've really looked at this whole notion of permaculture for decades now. Uh, but it, it really is a different way of looking at. Yeah.
2: Design. Now look, permacul- permaculture is fantastic in that what Bill helped people was with the assembling the parts. And permaculture has been focused to a large extent on assembling the parts. Right. Right? Yes. And he took it. But because the other side of it was an intuitive process for Bill, he did it, and all good designers that I've ever met do it. I decided to work out what they did. That, was that for me, was my question, was, okay, I see you're doing it, and I had the opportunity to work for 30 years with uh, this designer in New Zealand called Dennis Scott, who, he was just doing it, okay, and I just, initially, I just couldn't quite... Work it out, and then I he gave me the challenge. Okay, I'm going to work out what you're doing. It's taken me 20 years to work it out. Nice, nice. So, and I think we can teach this Greek. People can do it, okay? Uh-huh. And they, but they've got to value it. You see, people who ensure it, it can do it. But we've got to value that half of it as much as we value the assembly part. Mm-hmm. People want to get results. They want to do something. But they need to start by taking a deep breath and stopping and observing and observing and in this in this way and. Yeah, I think we can create exercises like this. is something I'm working on right at the moment. Mm-hmm. Creating exercises that people can do to help them because it's a way for the brain to actually think. Right. And right. it's so different to the way that we work with computer screens. Okay. Right. So cool. it's a work in process. Okay. So
0: yeah. Uh, well, and I like I like the level of conversation we're having here. So, and key number six is basically ongoing experimenting, research, and learning. That's the learning process.
2: That's the learning process that we do because, as I say, not only is design ongoing, learning. It's like, if I ever stop learning, I'm going to get worried. (laughs) Right. Okay. And I actually just have a phrase, you know, because to coin, I just call it the gardener's journey, and Uh it's a journey of life. Okay. And so, yeah. Now, that requires – you know, an openness of attitude, okay? And Mm -hmm. like, I spent 30 years taking assumptions like around about that organics being intrinsically, you know, was going to give me nutrition. I've now spent 20 years unraveling that one. I'm sure there's some things I'm still holding to that in time I may discover I haven't quite got it right, okay? But the point is the openness, but the thing that I've really had to work with and I've learned is working with how to actually do experiments, okay? So that you can actually learn in a much more active way from your garden, and that means you can your learning process can be so much faster if you actually treat it. And again, this is not a laboratory experiment; this is a garden experiment. And yeah, I, garden. I, I, having and having worked with academic scientists quite a bit, and I've challenged them, and I've learned their systems. Okay, what I'm talking about is referred to in academic circles as bucket science, and I totally embrace bucket science. Now, bucket science
0: is putting
2: all your information in one bucket, and? Yeah, it's also working with the, the what you've got. It's not doing multiple replications, blind trials, all that sort of stuff. And you try doing those in a gardening situation. I've been involved in spending large amounts of money. So you, you've set the whole experiment up. It's all going. And the university uh, people, yeah, good people, but they forgot about the poop hechos that were going to go in and eat the crop. Oh, right. <laughs> okay? Yeah. That's a bird in New Zealand It's one of our native birds and it loves uh, the crops we were growing. So, yeah, the the bird ate the crop. Okay. And that was so so much for our multiple replicated trials. They were brilliant. Mm -hmm. The bird enjoyed them thoroughly. So, yeah. So there's way, but there are ways, there's still things to do, techniques to use to make sure that you can learn from what you're doing. And the simplest thing to do is to do two things and just vary one or two elements. Yeah. And at one time, uh, yeah, you can't do much, but you accumulate this over years, and that's what I've been doing now for years. So nice. when my own experiments are built yeah. up over years now, what I've really seen is that there is a need to actually do this not only alone because in the olden days there were gardening clubs and people came together, and I'm sure this is what they were doing all the time. Right. okay And they had ways of doing it, but we've actually locked that one go. Everyone's looking for the answer and rather than actually the solution. <laughs> that well that's an interesting way of looking at it. They want the result, okay? Right. They want to get somewhere. Yeah. And rather than the journey. So what I'm working with and I'd love to work with others who have decided to reach that point and I've I've yeah and again some people say well I'm new to it but I've taken on lots of young people over the years who have you know, never garden and I gave them these ideas from the start and oh they just grow so much faster in their garden. Nice. So, for me, it doesn't matter whether you're new or you've been gardening for fifty years uh-huh. we should all we should all together be doing this, and yeah. so, to maybe facilitate that is something that I've been looking how to be, how it could be done. Please tell us about that so yeah, okay obviously we, we've got this world where these the gar- the old gardening club that I'm talking about they there's not many left, and when i've in New Zealand when I've been to a few they're all everyone's over sixty mm-hmm. No young people go there, and this has to reach young people. And we know where all the young people are is on the on the internet, and they're, they're listening to me now. Hopefully, a few young people, right? And others. So I've actually had to retrain myself in the last six years how to, to use this technology because
1: <laughs> yeah. because
2: I decided I wanted to actually work with young people, and that's how they do. So I've been learning how we can create, and so I've been learning about forums and. Facebook groups, and all this sort of stuff. It's been an incredible learning curve for me over the last six years, and I think I can just about uh, work with it now. Oh, nice. Nice. So what are you doing? Okay. okay. So I'm going to create a club. Now, we're going to call it the Discovery Garden Circle, okay? And it's Mm -hmm. based on this old tradition. People can join it. Now, we're just going to ask – it's like an annual membership fee just so that we can cover some of our basic costs. (laughs) We're not going to get rich from doing this as far as I can see. Right. And in doing that, we will start to share with people what we're doing with our experiments.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And also in time, we can also look to actually give people some insights. Like, I'm putting together e-learning courses and all these things, but it's going to take me, from where I sit now, another two years to put everything together because yeah. I want a complete package. It's another two years work for me. And I'm going to put one, I'm hoping to have a, a simple course available maybe by the autumn and for the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, nice. However... But in the meantime, I'd like to get on with people because it's spring and heading into summer now already. So right. if people are interested in this now, this is a way where we can start to gather and we can start to get some things going. Cool.
0: Cool. So, and where can people find information on that?
2: Okay. that's gonna we're, we're literally setting this up at the moment as we're talking, Greg, but it is up on our website now. And so Kiwi Gardeners, and that's gardenersplural.com. Got it. Okay, and Perfect. on the homepage now there'll be a link to learning more about the the circle, the garden club, and how people can participate. And it's going to be an experiment, and it's going to be new. So, you know, we're all going to learn on this one together.
0: Nice, nice. Well, you know what? Community is so important in all of this, and it sounds like you're doing a a really great job in bringing community together. And you know, with this new adventure of yours from around the world, so.
2: Yeah, well, I feel we've got lots of good things on the ground happening in New Zealand. And yeah. there's also, we've got lots of issues we're still trying to address. It's not, it's not, <laughs> not quite, I know we're in a South Pacific set of islands, but it's not quite paradise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, Although, welcome to our world of discovery on this, right? Correct. You have got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Okay. Well, and, and the, the thing, just Greg, what I say is that I'm only putting this out now because I have now immersed myself for a decade in working with ecology, working with this framework, uh-huh. and seeing how it means that I, by taking this framework, I can work with anyone in any garden at any scale anywhere in the world, and I believe I can help them, and I can help them to help themselves so they can do it for themselves. Because I, I actually at some point want to have a more quieter life, and I, I can't see it in the moment. So my goal is to educate and get people doing this as much as they can themselves. Okay. Perfect. So if that Perfect. interests anyone... I'd love to hear from them, and the other Kiwi gardeners, because you know there's a whole group of us. We're all ki- like I'm a Kiwi gardener. We're all Kiwi gardeners. Yeah. Okay, and that's in this part of the world. Perfect. That's our identity as gardeners. Okay.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show again and sharing your experience with us today, Colin.
2: Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed it. This is new for me. You know, I have to say, Greg, you know, you're the first. Uh, uh, podcast i've been putting out into america i have actually got some other things that are happening as well but good yeah, if you get if, if you get this one out fast enough you're first off the block
0: yeah well there you go there you go so how can our <laughs> listeners get a
2: hold of you once again we have a website it's kiwi k-i-w-i gardeners plural dot com perfect
0: perfect and you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Kiwi Keys. That's K-I-W-I-K-E-Y-S. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or Iwanttogarden.com.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.
0: It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's